correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here this week with my buddy Steve. Hi, Steve. Hello. And uh, before we get into uh, what's going to be, well, now the second of our... um, Oh, Spooky Month episodes, if you want to call them, uh, which yeah. we kicked off last week with Liam from Mud and Blood. This week, we're going to be talking some Call of Cthulhu and related things. But before we get into that, what's our uh, D20 podcast of the week this week, Steve? I think we're going to talk about the Genesis Archives. Oh, yeah. They're cool people. We had uh, Jonathan, their GM, on a while back to talk about the setting that they, they're currently playing in called the Hidden World or the Unseen World. That's what it was called. The Unseen World. Yep. Yeah, why don't you give us the pitch for Genesis Archives real quick? Okay, what they are is self-described as a place where a bunch of nerds, artists, writers, and musicians collaboratively create stories through a tabletop role-playing game called Genesis. And currently they're playing through a setting that was created by their GM called The Unseen World, which is a, if you want to call it kind of urban fantasy, but what he did was he basically went back and researched all the original folklore stories for you know, vampires and fae and, and all these things, and then translated those into game terms instead of taking the traditional game trope. So it creates a really neat, you know, it's a little bit different than your average, if you want to call it urban fantasy setting. And it's, it's quite enjoyable. Yeah. It's yeah. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a little behind as I am with a lot of things, but it's, it's very good. So with that, Time to get into the topic of the week, which is uh, more fun and spooky things. And uh, as I mentioned before, we were going to talk about Call of Cthulhu and, and some of the other games that are related to that. And to do so, we have actually two guests with us this week. We have John Hook, formerly known as Keeper John, formerly of the Miskatonic University podcast, and his co-host in his new podcast adventure called Modern Mythos. His co-host is Seth Skorkowski. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you both for coming on. We've been fans of both of you for a while and definitely excited to get into talking about Call of Cthulhu and all those dark and spooky uh, cosmic horror things. That's where my brain is going. (laughs) You thunder now. (laughs) So, I mean, for me, Call of Cthulhu was one of my early games. It was the first long-term campaign I think I was ever involved in was Call of Cthulhu. But it's it's one of the older older games out there, I think, is it not? Didn't it originally come out in what eighty one? Yeah, correct. It's, uh, their fortieth anniversary is this month. Aha. Uh-huh. Yep, October of uh, of eighty one. So yeah, the end of this month will be forty years. Oh wow! And that was what Sandy Peterson is the original author, correct? Though not for the the engine, but for the the lore or the the fluff of the system, if you will. Yeah. So according to legend, uh, it was Greg Stafford. Had uh, actually gotten someone else to do a, a Call of Cthulhu game for Chaosium. And evidently this other person was terribly late and they didn't really even turn anything workable in. And uh, someone said, 
Well, you know, I know this this guy uh, Sandy who who's been running RuneQuest, and he's like really into Lovecraft. Uh, maybe he can do it. And uh, and Greg got a hold of Sandy Peterson, who was I think in grad school, who was really really young. And uh, Sandy was like, sure. And uh, it kind of turned in its first edition Call of Cthulhu. And I think the only thing Greg wanted him to change was san- his add a sanity recovery system. Sandy pretty much knocked it out of the park in really, really short amount of time, uh, just because he was obsessed with Lovecraft and he was just excited uh, to get to get hired working on a game. Yeah. Now, I I thought I'd heard somewhere that the late Steve Perrin is the one that's generally credited as the architect of the BRP engine. But yes, yes, Steve did the the BRP system, and uh, Sandy Sandy took that and made the Call of Cthulhu game with it. I think it, it's just. I mean, my current favorite of the mythos genre is Delta Green, which isn't full on BRP, but it's still very, very much derived from it. But even the original BRP, it's just a, it's a wonderfully easy system to use. It's incredibly elegant and it's very intuitive because it's skill-based and percentile-based, which is easy concept to to learn and to teach. You know, if I have a 40% chance to do a certain skill, you know, you just roll the percentile dice. Do I get equal to or less than? So it's really, really simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I prefer a skill-based game over a level-based by far. You know, and for years, whenever, I guess we just refused to leave Dungeons and Dragons. I was part of that group that just absolutely refused to try anything but that game for a long time. And we would try to homebrew all sorts of ways to make it skill-based without knowing there were skill-based games out there that did it far better than we could. But BRP has been around for... Uh, well over 40 years now, and it's still one of the finest skill-based games that I've found. And it's it's had a, a few updates since then, but real minor compared to a lot of other games that have had you know, massive updates over different editions and changes over the years. Yeah, I mean, my experience with Call of Cthulhu was primarily in the fifth edition, which would have been out in the mid-90s when I played it. But based on what I've heard of some, you know, actual play content and so on and so forth, you know, it doesn't appear that seventh has, what do you want to say? It hasn't significantly changed it in regards to the system. I mean, there are some minor tweaks where I think the, um, the concept of hard and extreme successes is new and, and that, but that's minor window dressing, really. It's not like they got rid of Thaco or anything. Right. Now, the, the the new edition, um, I think it was it was Paul Fricker and Mike Mason are the the two that did the updates. Uh, John was is, that's was correct. Much them, okay. yeah. And they they streamlined uh, some parts of it. One of the things that's that is great about Seventh Edition is it's still fully backwards compatible, and it's so something you do it in your head with uh, with D anD D. I remember we took First Edition Adventures and tried to run them with Fifth Edition, and it was so vastly different. It required a lot of uh, work to get those to mesh right. And with Call of Cthulhu, I can pick up an adventure from the the mid-80s, and it doesn't require any actual work before the game. I can just do the changes in my head. Absolutely, yeah. I can attest to that. I'm running a campaign, Spawn of Azathoth, for the Into the Darkness crew on YouTube. And, I mean, I'm running it from, from, I think it was written for second edition, technically second second edition Call of Cthulhu, I'm just running it and making the conversions in my head as we go. And it's been fantastic. So it's super flexible and very intuitive, very easy. 
Yeah, I, like I, I, I always found it like you said. You know, where the the skill rolls are so simple. I mean, you just look and go, okay, is the number on my dice smaller than the number on my sheet, and that's it. You know, there's almost no modifiers, anything like that. There's very little table math involved, uh, which I find pleasant. That's the, that's my favorite part. There's zero math to the point we got we got so used to it. Then we started doing games that required table math, and everyone in my group's got two decades or more worth of experience gaming, and all of us are like, "Oh God, a basic edition is suddenly so <laughs> so hard," <laughs> uh, because we are so used to it just being simple. Of you know, I need to roll under a sixty. Roll the dice. Like, is it under sixty? Yeah. Okay, then go. No, you're right, though. And I think, you know, sometimes that's the thing that I've thought. I think sometimes people who have learned to play Dungeons and Dragons, when you tell them you want to play a different game, they get this look in their face like, you mean I'm going to have to learn how to add a whole different batch of numbers? I just figured these out. And half the time, you know, as far as actually learning the game, it's easier than learning Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it's so funny because when I was a kid, you know, I was growing up in the 70s and in the 80s, you know, when these games were coming out brand new, that wasn't the attitude at all. Every time a new game came out, everyone was just, you know, grabbing it, absorbing it, and we kept playing new games, you know? I mean, we we had our favorites, but we were constantly picking up new games and, you know, trying them out, and a lot of them were junk, you know, because <laughs> the indie game market was, was big. I mean, I bought you know, macho women with guns when it came out brand new. And that is a terrible game, but it was fun to read, you know? <laughs> okay. I give a full props on that title right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, one of the things John and I have actually chatted about is the kind of the, the generational difference in, in gamers. Uh, I started playing at the beginning of the nineties. John started in the late seventies. And when, when I started, it was less, I guess, uh, exploring, that uh, the average gamer had, where uh, those that started a lot earlier, yeah, any game that came out, they all tried. Uh, just about every old school gamer that I knew from the late 70s, early 80s could name a dozen systems that they had tried out with their friends. While in the 90s, all of a sudden it became, you choose one and, and that's the one you swear allegiance to until the day you die, which is very different. So it, it took me forever before I started like really exploring outside of D&D seriously. Uh, we might do a one-off here and there, but we never even approached it with the idea that it would ever replace our primary game, which was D&D. Yeah, one thing I was going to mention with like the, the, I guess the difficulty of, of that system, of, since I do, I do different videos on my YouTube channel where I talk about kind of walk people through the rule systems of various games and try to kind of uh, make people aware of them is uh, D and D has a stealth complexity that I don't think a lot of people see if they're only used to that because the the combat system in D and D is actually rather simple until you start adding special abilities and feats which are under every single class and then it suddenly becomes way more complicated. But if you're just reading the combat section, it's pretty simple, pretty easy, like this is fun. But then once you bring in four characters of four classes that all have you know, a slew of different special abilities, plus whatever special abilities the monsters have, it's suddenly way more complicated than any of the other games that we play. I think on the surface, though, it looks simpler. I could not agree with you more. I, I, I've struggled for ways to say it, but yes, that's a very good way to put it. Well, I've experienced this because... 
speaking of Call of Cthulhu, I ran that for a couple buddies of mine who would, one friend who was tangentially interested, and the other ones who had never played anything other than D&D. And they picked it up like it was, like it was the easiest game in the world. And it is very easy, but it was, it was night and day at how fast they'd actually picked up Call of Cthulhu and were able to master that system and playing that game to the point at which they, they all walked away going, yeah, we would 100% play that again. And also I wish we'd have known this was easier than D and D going in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now when I've, I've introduced uh, a lot of people to it who are not very experienced with uh, role-playing games in general. And one of the things that I do love about Call of Cthulhu, just the BRP system in general, is it is so easy to teach somebody who does not know the rules that it's it's pretty much like uh, like you know here's your here's your two minutes of me explaining how dice work and you want to get below these numbers this is where you find them and let's go that's all it takes there's uh, there's very little in the way of having to like pull out a blackboard and and suddenly start showing a lot of charts or anything it's just Here's your percentage dice, here's your skills, here's your hit points, go. And uh, it's real simple. Yeah, you don't have to have a dissertation on how to play the game. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now that we've talked about the system for longer than it takes to learn it, <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I obviously know that the, the core of it comes from the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, and it's cosmic horror and all that, but for those out there who, who may not be familiar with it, I know you guys are much more well-versed in, in the actual lore of the game than, than I am, at least. Do you want to expound on that a little bit in whatever order you'd like to? John, you go. So, yeah, the uh, the Howard Phillips Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, uh, had this concept idea of aliens. Indescribable, bizarre, you know, non-human motivated aliens that have an even higher level of this cosmic level of, of understanding of the universe and, uh, and humanity and other planets and other races are just playthings to them. We're, we're insignificant. We, we get in the way really. And then there are other creatures that are not quite as cosmic, a little, little closer, uh, to scale, if you will, to the human scale. Uh, you've got monsters like, deep ones that live in the oceans and you've got the Mego that come from the planet Pluto that they call Yuggoth uh, and they'll fly to, to here and, you know, creatures that, that have in incredibly long lifespans, you know, alien creatures like the uh, elder things. So all these just fantastical beasts, Lovecraft was writing these very entertaining stories about these different types of creatures. And uh, so the game helps you live in that world. It's an investigative mystery game. There's something that has happened. Maybe a friend is missing or someone has died or there's a, a weird artifact that's up for auction. But there's something interesting for the characters to kind of get involved with. Usually it's helpful in a role-playing setting if these characters are part of an organization that likes to uh, solve these kind of mysteries, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's a lot of games where you're just these bystanders who are in the wrong place at the wrong time and get swept up into what's happening. And the players are going to solve a mystery. And typically that mystery has some kind of secret, strange alien behind it 
that's uh, pulling these strings and causing these machinations, and it's it's very very eerie. Did that uh, that help answer the question? No, yeah, like like I said, that that's a good way to say it. Like I said, I, to me, Call of Cthulhu has always been the game about just weird, weird, weird stuff, and and I say that in the context not like it's anomalies. It's, it's like you said, it's things that make humanity seem insignificant, be it. Um, and I'm trying to think of the one scenario that, that I, I know they've played through the, a couple times on the, the into the darkness channel you were mentioning earlier, but it's the, the one on the pipeline up in Canada or Alaska, right? The pipeline. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember <laughs> if that was the name of it or not, but, uh, yep. you know, and that it's, it's, now that one, if if I'm remembering it correctly, without going into any heavy spoilers, it is where, so to speak, native folklore ties into this elder god mythos. Mm-hmm. Is, is is am I remembering that correctly? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, not to give too many spoilers for the pipeline in particular, but that's one of the interesting things that as game masters that you can do, or as we call them in call of Cthulhu, the keeper, the keeper of arcane secrets, you can take lore, historical lore, uh, mythology, and you can, you can twist it and, and put a, a, a new layer behind it. And so, you know, you might have this lore of abominable snowmen or, the Wendigo, right? And you might think it might be this lore that is fairly common or, you know, known in, in by human standards, but there's a real truth. There's a hidden truth. And these truths, as we discover them, as our, as your characters plumb the depths of the mystery, it can shake your sanity. And that really gets to the core mechanic in uh, Call of Cthulhu that's so much fun is the loss of sanity, you know, and the, uh, as your, as your knowledge of, of the weird increases, your stability and hold on reality decreases. Yeah. I see to me, Call of Cthulhu is, is primarily, it's an investigative game with the, the supernatural, which is, is usually done through the, the mythos or, or mythos, depending on how you pronounce it of, of Lovecraft, but then it doesn't have to be because it can be vampires or werewolves or, or ghosts or, or whatever else, just a, uh, a supernatural edge. But one of the big differences between that and let's say like Dungeons and Dragons is in D&D, your characters are aware you're in a magical world that's got magic and monsters. While in, in Call of Cthulhu, it's people that believe they live in the mundane world who are realizing that they don't. And, and not only do they not live in a mundane world, humanity itself is an insignificant part of it. And I think that's really where the insanity crack comes from, is that realization that humans are really not even a factor in how the world works. They're just a thing that happens to be there as these supernatural forces are going about their business. And, uh, but mostly, to me, it's about the investigative parts of it, of characters discovering that their world isn't what they thought it was. Yeah, like it, it's it's one of those things, and I've struggled, you know, sometimes to explain to people, why do you want to play this type of game? And it's it's a little hard to articulate, but part of it, I think, is it is that how do you portray that, holy crap, I never realized that 
you know, in character and it's, it's just different challenges. Plus it's, I've said before that it, in most cases when playing Call of Cthulhu or most of its derivatives, they're not combat centered games like Dungeons and Dragons is it's quite frankly, nine times out of 10, at least in my experience, if you get to combat in Call of Cthulhu, you're already on the wrong side of the slope. Yeah, combat's pretty lethal. Your hit points are not significant, you know, maybe 10 to 12 on average, and a gun is going to inflict D10 damage, maybe. Certain weapons might do far more. Short range with a shotgun is 4D6, so... Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll mess you up. It'll mess you up. The guns are lethal. And uh, it, it's one of those things where if you're, if you're used to heroic fantasy RPGs where you charge into battle and uh, you've got a million hit points and you've got healing spells and all sorts of stuff like that, it, it is a bit of a shock because uh, Call of Cthulhu is meant to have more of a, of a realistic side to combat where if if you get hit with a sword that's probably the end of you and if and if you do pull through it you're not going to be able to take another hit and so there's no blindly charging in uh so you do actually have to kind of decide do i want to engage in a combat or if you do be a little bit smarter than you know just charging in blindly because that's uh that's that's going to be the end of the character most likely if you do try to approach it in that way of we're kind of nigh invulnerable, uh, like you would have in D and D or other games like that. I think a lot of the reputation that Call of Cthulhu gets for its lethality is from people who did try to approach it from that that experience of uh, of, of D and D, where you can take an incredible amount of damage and and death is easily avoided, to suddenly in more of a, a gritty, realistic uh, system where. If, if you get stabbed, that's probably the, the end of your combat for you. And, you know, depending upon your keeper, that may or may not be the end of your game. I mean, a, a clever keeper might consider using combat as a way to fade to black on the character and go, you're barely alive. You've been awoken while you were unconscious. Someone tended to you and now you're maybe you're a prisoner uh, receiving medical treatment or maybe the good guys got you and, you know, pulled you back to... HQ and now you're getting medical treatment, but combat can be the end of the road or could just be a way to close that scene and then open up a new scene later. Yeah. Well, I think especially an approach like that would be useful if perhaps, you know, you're, if you as the keeper are, are playing with people new to the system that may be used to being able to run headlong into combat, like in, in, you know, the classic heroic fantasy games we, we mentioned that being said, one thing I, and I know in this conversation, we all know it. The setting for Call of Cthulhu is the world as we know it, although I believe core Call of Cthulhu has, what, 1920s, 1940s, and modern day is what they call it? Or has that changed with the additions? 1920s or, or jazz age, uh, as they call it, it's the most popular time period for it. And that's just because uh, that was when Lovecraft had set his stories, because to him at the time, that was the modern day. So that that is the most popular time period, though there is modern day. You can find scenarios that are set in you know, different decades throughout the 20th century. Um, you can find Cthulhu by Gaslight, which is Victorian England, or there's a Wild West, Dark Ages, Ancient Rome is one. So really any time period can be done and probably has been done. But the 1920s is by far the most popular kind of time setting for it. 
that's what I've gotten the impression from, from what I see out there is that the twenties do seem to be the, what do you want to say? The arrow choice for a lot of the, I don't want to say purists, but the, the people who have really been into Cthulhu for a long time, for me, it was always, I learned it actually in the, the original pagan publishing iteration of Delta green. So, you know, that flavors, you know, my take on it, but yeah, the twenties, I know that's, it's a massive, and I, most of what I see the in published scenarios seem to be, to be set there at least by volume. Oh yeah. Uh, there's, there's probably more of the 1920s setting, uh, adventures and supplements than all the others combined. By a country mile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quite, quite a bit more, uh, just for that setting than all the others. But like I said, when you bring in Delta Green, you know, that was originally uh, modern day, but you know, modern day in the 1990s. So there's actually like the, the throwback Delta Green and then modern Delta Green. So Delta Green is actually splitting two directions now as yeah. far as uh, the original, because now the internet and cell phones are, are much bigger if we're doing modern day than they were in the 90s where your character might have a bag phone and no reception anywhere unless they're in a very urban environment. And that was much more X-Files than anything, which at the time X-Files was really popular and that led to the popularity of Delta Green where your characters, their investigator organization is a government organization. And you know, they're basically trying to keep the lid on the, 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 the secret truths of, of the world, basically to you know, protect you know, humanity from it. And that was, uh, it's a really cool concept. It's real fun. Yeah. Like I said, my, that was my introduction to call of Cthulhu was playing the, the original third party, if you will supplement for call of Cthulhu. And then I've since discovered more recently, the, the actual standalone game from arc dream. And, uh, like I said, that's my personal preferred flavor of it, but it's, yes, it's technically a different system, but not nearly as far removed as most people would consider a different system to be no they're 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 very close um and in fact in some ways the new delta green has several portions that are so close but different that it it actually is more confusing to me because my brain is so hardwired on the uh the call of cthulhu method of doing it that it's just different enough that it does cause me to stumble a bit but uh, they're very, they're very similar, and it's a very good system. So, what is it aside from just the investigation angle that you mentioned earlier, Seth? And and what what is it that really draws you guys to this game? Because I know, you know, or at least my understanding for you, John, is that this is your main game. You know, as far as your gaming habits, and I know it's it's one of your favorites as well, Seth. Yeah, uh, well, it's it, it's my favorite system out of all the ones that I've played. Yeah, it's it's my favorite as well. It's you know for reasons noted earlier, the simplicity and and just the the way the literature how this game is is built upon the literature uh, is so engrossing. So you know there's so many different authors who are part of that Lovecraft circle who have contributed to the to the Cthulhu mythos, and there are some authors who never were part of that circle but you know their works have also kind of been you know adopted and pulled in you know like robert chambers and and the king in yellow that kind of stuff so it's interesting i find it interesting to read some of the the stories which uh, i love that most of them are these short stories you know they were originally uh, written for magazine publishing right so they're they're these short stories you you typically find a lot of anthology books so 
You can just read any of these stories in any order, mine them for ideas, and uh, bring it to the table. And you might already find pre-published material that's, you know, based on some of these stories. So it's neat to be able to connect the two, the literature and the gaming, and, and bring it uh, to it. It's very engrossing. That's, that's why it's my uh, favorite game. I have noticed amongst some of the circles that, that I've, did be a discords or whatever that I've hung out in that, how do I want to say this, but that Call of Cthulhu enthusiasts often tend to have quite an extensive personal library, not just of gaming books, but of assorted weird fiction or even not even just fiction, even historical texts. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. Guilty. I can't, I can't deny this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I just, on that thought, just to go back to, to something that was brought up in a conversation, the episode that'll air before this one, do either or both of you tend to prefer, say, more aggressive music, uh, be it metal or hard rock? In, you mean in general or ju- or in game? No, in, in, in your personal listening. Yeah, my, my personal listening is, you know, old school, heavy metal. I am learning to uh, discover newer metal bands that that kind of emulate or take cues from older bands. So I'm not into the, the screaming, you know, death metal, I guess is what they call it. But, you know, I love ghost and I'm loving Volbeat, but I also love Iron Maiden and, you know, Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's what I listen to. Yeah. I'll, I listen to a lot of uh, heavier music. Uh, I was a, I've got my mosh pit scars from my youth, and um, <laughs> I've uh, definitely into, uh, I guess, uh, uh, the harder uh, forms of uh, rock or electronic music. Now, I was just curious, because the conversation we had in, in last week's episode was about why, in general, people like to play you know, dark and gritty style games, and it came up while we were having that conversation that a very, very large number of people who seem to enjoy that style of role-playing game also tend to be into metal music or, you know, cousins thereof. And so it was just kind of a straw poll thing to see if that shoe fit. You know, it's also interesting that a lot of the heavy metal music, in addition to singing about traditional rock topics, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, they also will tell these ballads, right? These, you know, fictional uh, ballads and it's awesome, you know, so blue oyster cult paired with, uh, Michael Moorcock and they did a song called black blade about Stormbringer. you know, and that's just one example, but there's lots of these cool songs that have these great stories in them and, and they invoke vision and, 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 and a story arc that, you know, you want to read about or, or play at the table. Yeah, Led Zeppelin was all about hobbits and shit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Metallica had a song called The Call of Cthulhu that they did in the 80s. So uh, it's very much been there. Um, you know, one of the bands I spent years listening to nonstop was Nightwish. And they're pretty much of a genre you would call fantasy metal, where it is all about hobbits and elves and vampires and stuff. So, and, you know, very... Uh, a lot of a lot of Viking elements. Viking metal is a big one. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I, I think there is something about that genre of music. Really enjoying the uh, the escapism that comes from uh, fantasy. Our podcast, uh, Modern Mythos, the music 
the opening closing music is by a band, uh, an amazing uh, Lovecraft-centric band called Darkest of the Hillside Thickets. And uh, every one of their albums has uh, several tracks that you can just feel uh, are just dripping with Cthulhu Mythos lore. So it's just awesome stuff. Cool. Yeah, I guess that was just sort of a, a straw poll question just to kind of see what your answers were, really. But no, it is. And like you mentioned, you know, uh, Metallica, not only that, there's um, on the one album, there's an instrumental track, I think, called The Thing That Should Not Be. Well, no. So uh, Call of Cthulhu is the instrumental. Okay. The Thing That Should Not Be is uh, lyrically rich with all kinds of uh, Lovecraft uh, nod. So you can hear things, you know, talking about deep ones in it. You can hear about uh, Nyarlathotep in it. So there's a lot of nice uh, call outs in, in the thing that should not be. Yeah. Okay. That's right. I was getting confused. I think Cliff was the, the Lovecraft fan anyway, but that's a whole nother whatever. <laughs> so yeah, like, I don't know where else, you know, what else do you guys want to talk about about Call of Cthulhu because it's an amazing game. I love to play it, but I sometimes struggle to try and explain to people why and and what it is that I find so entertaining about it. Well, kind of going with the the investigative uh, aspects of it, I, I enjoy the fact that with with most Call of Cthulhu scenarios that you'll find are very story based. There's actually quite a bit more complexity to their their plots than you find in um, a lot of other i guess just conventional role-playing games and that has to do with the you're always trying to unravel some sort of mystery so the mysteries and story arcs seem to be more complicated than go up to the mountains and kill the giant and uh that has actually been one of the big appeals to me as well as the setting uh the most classic setting being the 1920s is is very different than you know, a lot of the other settings out there, because it is old-timey yet modern. You know, we still have telephones and cars, but at the same time, it's not super modern cell phones or, or televisions. So there is a, you know, there's that that primitive. There is technology, but it's also not so widely available that it's always going to be able to save you. But it does add a very different element to it if you're coming from. Uh, Themes that are more classic fantasy, but versus sci-fi, where it is super technology-based, it still has more of a, a primitive feel to it. Because you know, I also enjoy science fiction games as my other big uh, addiction. And you know, with those, it's all technology, everything. So, uh, Call of Cthulhu hits that weird magic point between old-timey primitive and and modern technology uh, when you're using that classic 1920s setting. And, and also, I also just really get off on, like, enjoying the history. I know more about that time period due to gaming than I ever learned at school. Mm-hmm. More useless facts about what the world was like then than I ever thought I would ever know. And I, I, I love devouring those up, and I love incorporating those into uh, adventures. I, I love it when we can do an adventure, and I learn something about history at the same time. So, uh, but... That, that's one of the other big appeals that it has to me, is I know more about weird politics or the history of the automobile industry from the 1920s <laughs> than I ever thought I would. And I was going to uh, also say that the Call of Cthulhu game is so versatile. Seth has a lot of experience in running it as a long-running campaign. You know, So you've got your uh, recurring 
group of players with their characters and you can you know really grow and expand and they 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 get deeper and deeper knowledge and become you know these stalwart guardians uh, of humanity against the uh, encroaching darkness of the of these outer gods but on the other side of that coin it is a really great system that you can just kind of pick up and play at conventions which is my strong suit. I I do a lot of uh, just short term, single session, you know, con setting games, and it's so easy to get into, and it makes it by because the the mechanics are so easy, as we've noted earlier, it it reduces the barrier to get into the adventure. The players can get in faster and become immersed easier and before you know it four hours have passed and you have finally solved the mystery so uh that i think that that flexibility and that 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 uh universal tool kind of approach that this system has is uh something that's just fantastic and i think it has a broad appeal because of it yeah it, it, the one shots with call of cthulhu are very cinematic they're a very different animal than than long-term play right they're extremely different in how they feel and how you approach them and and that's one of the things that i, I do love about it is we can we can do a one shot where we've got these characters that are only going to be around for the duration of this adventure and the feel of those games is completely different than it is when we're doing our, our campaign play with characters but it's the exact same system and it's the exact same world, but one of them feels like more like more like a horror movie or, or or something where you're not entirely sure if the characters are going to to make it out okay. You know, in campaign play, there's the possibility something horrible could happen to the characters, and it often does. But when you're watching a, a movie versus a TV series that's got seven seasons, you go in knowing that the chances of all the characters making it through a, a horror movie a lot less than on your favorite TV show. Supernatural, you're pretty sure the Winchesters are going to be okay. <laughs> but uh, when you when you when you put on some movie, you don't know are they going to be okay and it ends with maniacal laughter or is only one person going to get away screaming as they take them off to the the asylum at the end or uh, maybe they go to jail because the authorities believe that they committed these these atrocities sort of deal. And I, I do like that that completely different feel that it has on a, on a one shot versus campaign play. Yeah, and I it it came back to me just while you guys were talking. One of the things that I think I enjoy about it is kind of this this mentality that I've seen most times I've played it, where the player knows that the choice that they're having their character make is a bad choice, you know, like from an objective standpoint, but in game you know, the character has no, and so like, it's this, let's make the bad choice and see what happens. Kind of this weird, slightly removed view of the character. I don't know if that makes sense. I know what I'm thinking. I don't know. I may not be articulating it well. No, it sounds right. (laughs) You know, but that, that for lack of a better word, almost like, you know, especially like you were saying, you know, in in a, in a one shot type context, it's that play the character, like you drive a stolen car, you know, you just, you just go for it and see what happens. And like, I know from my experience, you know, running a little bit of like Delta green or whatever. The other thing that, that I love 
is watching the paranoia build in the players, even when it's not building in the characters. And I don't know, maybe that just means I'm, you know, a little touched in the head, but I don't know. I find even as a player watching everybody around the table, get more and more paranoid that nothing big and evil has jumped out of the closet yet. But you know, you're that's, that's a, a a table thing, not an in-game thing. And I find that enjoyable too. Well, it's, it's like in a good horror movie. Yeah. The, the, the characters in a horror movie usually don't know they're in a horror movie. So, but if you, if you watch the audience of a, of a seed of, you know, a, a, a woman gets back to the house and she's, you know, calling for her husband and he's not responding and she's kind of walking around and you see her open up the basement door and then she turns around and she's standing in front of the basement door. The whole audience is, is tensing because they're waiting for something to leap out of that basement or they're waiting for her to discover some you know, gruesome remains or the monster or something. Well, the character in the movie is unaware of how bad it is. And the, the, there's that thrill that the audience gets. So in that sort of game, it's the same thing. The, the audience gets to experience this, uh, this tension of, of when, when's the shoe going to drop while the characters might not. And, uh, that's where you get the Hitchcockian definition of suspense, you know, and, uh, according to Hitchcock suspense in a movie is a bunch of characters sitting around a table talking completely unaware that there's a time bomb under the table and the audience is keeps going back to this time bomb, watching the clock get lower and lower and <laughs> they're getting tense. Well, you then cut to these people sitting around a table talking about the weather or something meaningless and have no idea that their, their time is growing shorter, that they're in this terrible peril. And that is where the audience gets their thrill. So I, th- I think that's kind of what you're, you're thinking about is uh, watching the players uh, have that buildup of dread. No, that's exactly it. That's yeah. I just didn't know how to say it that, that elegantly. <laughs> well, speaking of buildup of dread, Seth, I think you've written one of my favorite modules for call of Cthulhu in a mother's love. I adore oh. that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it does that exact that you were just speaking of, of, of that buildup of dread and, and fear. It's, it's, ah, I don't want to go off on it too much, but I really love that module. And I just wanted to tell you how thankful I am that you've written that. <laughs> well, well no, I, I love hearing that. I actually was very worried when I did it because it is, uh, it, it, it isn't normal for a, a lot of Call of Cthulhu modules because it's taking into account that you're, you're using this, the, the town of Innsmouth, which is extremely famous for people familiar with Lovecraft. And, just acknowledging that your players probably know what's really going on and it kind of uses that against them. And then at the same time, I took the, the monsters and in, in some ways I very much humanized their motivations to the sense that if you're, if you're reading the adventure, you can be sympathetic toward them, which is another thing that isn't as common um, either in the genre or just the game itself. So I, I really enjoy hearing that people liked it because uh, I remember when I turned it in, it's like, oh, wow, they're going to hate this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, honestly, I, 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 I ended up picking up the new tales of the Miskatonic Valley because I had seen that you had written a module in there and just absolutely loved that whole book. but. Also, your, you know, a mother's love is just, it's just fantastic. It really is. I, I threw my players a curveball with that one, and I really appreciate you writing it. 
Oh, that w- that was fun. Well, also all of the the, the gang members are named after my players, so uh, that was really fun uh, because when we were play testing it, we got to joke about who killed so and so. I think I think we've covered a lot so far. Steve, did you have anything else to really add or want to talk about? I mean, not particularly. I mean, like I said, it's you know, no one needs to sell me on the genre. Okay, I'll I'll be honest there, but I I do like I've said a number of times, I have trouble trying to explain to people why you would want to play it. But we've talked about that from a number of angles. So, um, I mean, aside from that, no. I mean, I would like to give both of you a chance to plug a little bit, you know, be it your current podcast, your other projects, because I know you both have a number of different things that you do. You know, so if you wanted to take a couple minutes to to talk about that, you know, in whatever order you'd like to do. Yeah, thank you. I mean, uh, I hope people who are interested in the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game would uh, check out our show, our podcast, The Modern Mythos. We're in the process of expanding where you can find us. So as soon as I can get a couple of little things ironed out, I should hopefully have us on iTunes here very shortly. But uh, we're on all the other major podcatching services, and Seth even edits our show to put it on YouTube. So Modern Mythos, check it out. Very good show, by the way. I've listened to all of it so far. Oh, thank you. In addition to that, I have my my YouTube channel, which is under the highly imaginative name Seth Krakowski, which requires that people know how to spell my name. So it probably wasn't <laughs> the best plan of names. And, uh, and, the, and the reason I did that is I wanted to have uh, name recognition uh, because it was originally intended to help support the fact that I am a, uh, a fantasy and horror author. Uh, so it's, yeah, it ended up kind of cresting past that in my uh in what i'm known for so i am a, a fantasy and horror author with several uh, five novels out and a couple collections of short stories from sword and sorcery to weird fiction to uh urban fantasy and john who doesn't like talking about himself as much evidently has got a slew of role-playing adventures out there for for multiple games that's actually how i first became aware of him was was playing different adventures that he had published <laughs> well thank you <laughs> if you go to drive through rpg i have and you can just kind of search for my name which is j-o-n for john but john hook and you'll see a bunch of uh Call of Cthulhu things that I've done, and uh, I've also done a few fantasy things as well. Uh, I've done some work for Goodman Games and stuff like that, so a lot of fun. I like uh, I like role playing. Well, that's kind of the whole point of the show. So, well, and I'll say if you're into fantasy horror, I adore the Black Raven tale or the Tales from the Black Raven Tales of the Black Raven series. Mountains oh. of Daggers is fantastic. Uh, like. Well, I got it on Audible and absolutely adore it. R.C. Bray did a fantastic job reading those. Uh, I was so happy with his performances. Yeah, I, I have to. I still have yet to pick up Sea of Quills, but I'm going to get that shortly here. <laughs> but yeah, I, I adore those books. I did a, a Black Raven short story a couple of years ago. And then just one year for Christmas, he just sent me a recording of it. So it's a standalone story out there called The Vault of Saudek. I think it's the, the audiobook is like three bucks on Audible. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I've listened to it. Pretty much the minimum I could check and put it up there for. And uh, so there is Mountain of Daggers and Sea of Quills, and there's this one little short standalone that he did just kind of as a Christmas present for me one year. So that was fun. 
my my own ability of reading my stuff. You can listen to how bad that is on my on my YouTube channel. My actual first video was from a, a podcast where I read a story called The Mist of Lishtofen, which was actually the original template that the Black Raven series came from. So it is a horror heist thief adventure, except for I am not an audio narrator and my equipment was god awful. <laughs> I do also want to plug uh, one of Seth's books, Ashes of Onyx. It is a standalone book, and it is utterly amazing. It does touch on the King in Yellow mythos, but that's uh, that's the one that you're kind of calling your urban fantasy portal fantasy, right? Because she wields magic. It's modern day. She you know travels to other planets. It's freaking awesome. Goes to Carcosa. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Ashes of Onyx. Cannot recommend it high enough. All right. So I got a whole bunch of links to look up for the <laughs> show notes this week. Awesome. I love doing that anyway. Help people find stuff and so on and so forth. So um, I think then... Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of helping people find stuff, you want to get into Game of the Week? Oh, yes. Let's do yeah, Game let's of the Week. Yeah, let's recommend more stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, our audience loves it. Right, Smiley? <laughs> One of our listeners who keeps messaging either or both of us and going, damn you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Quit recommending things. I have too many things. Game of the week. Game of the week. We won't stop and we won't quit and we will keep recommending things. As a matter of fact, I'll start. The game I'm recommending for game of the week this time around is going to be Midnight Showings. It's a $20 PDF on drive through RPG. It is evoking the atmosphere of your favorite horror movies. Midnight Showings utilizes uh, character building to fight tooth and nail against ghost ghouls and through one-off tales of terror. So it looks like it's a pretty decent, it looks like it's a pretty decent one-shot type game. But if you're into those, you know, the, just your midnight movies that you would see at a drive-in horror tales, that kind of fun stuff, that is absolutely what this is. And it looks really cool. Um, Hosted by Joe Bob Briggs, I bet. Yeah, see, that's how I, that's exactly how I would run it. I would run a series of one shots where me as the G GM would be Joe Bob. And it would just be <laughs> breaking in and out of games, like pausing in the middle of action scenes to interrupt them with goofy rants or stories. Like, <laughs> that's exactly how I would run this game. <laughs> But yeah, if you're into those, you know, whether it be going to the drive-in and watching that stuff or, you know, you catch Joe Bob or um, any of the any of the horror hosts from, you know, late, late, late night television, uh, Elvira, any of that stuff. If you're into that, I think this is going to be the game for you. That does sound awesome. Who wants to go next? I'll go. So my suggestion is one that everyone can pick up because the core book the 260 some odd page core book is pay what you want on drive through rpg so you can get it for nothing and they even they even say on the first page you know we're giving this game away for free and they have a, a paragraph about that and that is the void it is sci-fi cthulhu mythos it is a a really cool d6 dice pool system for doing your tests, which is very similar to uh, Free League's Alien 
game mechanic. Uh, although in the void, the dice pool system is you might have a a difficulty. Uh, maybe you know the test that you need is difficulty two, and so you have to roll your pool of d6s, and fives and sixes are successes, and you have to get a number of successes or more based upon the difficulty of the test that you're doing. So if you had a test difficulty of two, and your pool for, and the pool is based upon your attribute and skill that you're uh, using, which again is also very similar to what you might see in the alien role-playing game that will determine how large your pool is. So maybe your pool is five or six dice. You roll them, you're looking to get, you know, two or more successes depending upon what that, uh, what that test difficulty is for that, uh, for that role. It's really cool. And it, it's, uh, it is also a little bit of like Delta green because all of your characters belong to an organization called the wardens. Uh, which makes sense because if you weren't part of some sort of paramilitary group, it might be difficult to come up with a narrative reason on why you're able to travel to, to the different planets. And it is a, it's a, it's a solar system sci-fi. So while we have space travel, it's not, you know, deep space. It's, it's going all within our solar system. Uh, and there's a cool lore to it. This uh, thing called the Clothonian Star has uh, illuminated in the sky, and you can tell it's like coming closer to our to our solar system, and it's uh, kind of heralding madness, and and uh, and all these eldritch horrors are kind of waking up. Things that have been asleep under the ice on on Io are uh, you know beginning to crack out and and you know filter into our. So- deeper into our solar system. It's a really well-supported system. Uh, there's a lot of books for it on DriveThruRPG. Several adventures are available. They even have a mini campaign. And the price point for the other items are not bad. Uh, you can also get a, a print-on-demand version of the core book, uh, which I have also done. And those prices aren't you know too bad. I mean, they're they're what you would expect for print-on-demand nowadays, but you don't have to go that route. You can just get the PDF of the core book for free just to try it out. So check it out, The Void. That does look interesting. All right, so would you like to go next, Seth, or would you like me to? Well, I'm, I'm hoping you would. I'm just like, I, I, when you're like, come up with a game like trick, I'm like, okay, cool, I just made this big list. So I'm like, I'm hoping somebody else names one of mine. That way I've got another one I can do. <laughs> Well, I, I've got about five of them called up right now. <laughs> so I okay, think... <laughs> well then, then I'll go. So it's evidently we're 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 basically doing a staring contest of like, <laughs> please name one of my list. That way, I can name another. Um, right now, the 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 other game that I have been absolutely loving, but is super duper niche, has been uh, Cult Divinity Lost, which is the fourth edition of uh, the game Cult, which is a Swedish horror game. And uh, the, the new edition uses uh, kind of their version of the Powered by the Apocalypse system. So it's very rules-light, very story-based in how it works. Uh, so the players just roll 2d10 if they want to do any, accomplish whatever their goal is. Uh, the Game Master does not roll dice. So uh, you can have an entire combat that's really narrated by a single die roll on the, the player's part. And that is... A very mature audience-only 
religious horror game. It's very Gnostic. And for those that are not familiar with that term, it's like the Matrix in the sense that uh, humanity has been imprisoned in an illusion of reality. And they are uh, essentially powering these uh, entities, uh, which you might think of as angels and demons, except they're pretty much all horrible. And the characters are slowly awakening to realize that they are prisoners trapped in an illusion. It is absolutely brutal. But it's also one of the only games I've ever read where the lore of the world has absolutely fascinated me. Uh, so I've really enjoyed reading the, the, the world lore and, and how elaborate it is, yet I find riveting. Most of the time, a lot of the game world lore, I kind of my eyes glaze over and I, I just want to get to the adventure itself. So it feels very much like Clive Barker, uh, if Clive Barker wrote a, a role-playing game. So uh, very Hellraiser in how it feels. So I've, I've enjoyed that. Uh, it is by a company called Helmgast, uh, and then it is uh, distributed by Modiphius. And um, the PDFs for their book are about $34 on DriveThruRPG, but they also have a lot of adventures that they've put out for free. So uh, you can get the PDFs of their adventures for cheap as free. Uh, you can get get a look at them and see what they're like. But I've been loving the hell out of that game. Let's say, if I could take a minute, I've actually, um, the guest we had on last week from the Mud and Blood podcast, they actually did a live, or a, an actual play series of Cult Divinity Lost back in their feed not terribly long ago. And uh, yeah, it's a really, really neat game. But But like you mentioned, it is very... What do you want to say? Mature audience. It's it's not a. Um, it's, oh yeah. It's probably I would say I feel it's a bit heavier than even Call of Cthulhu. Um, By far, agreed. Know. The description of Clive Barker and like yeah, that I I absolutely agree with you. And every Clive Barker movie that's ever been produced and even his books are all rated R plus. <laughs> so be aware of that. But, yeah, it's. Uh, it is. It's. It's one of the only games where they have their kind of uh, things on uh, mature audience only and trigger warning that is is so dead serious. Because uh, oh, then you you read the game, you're like, whoa, this ain't this ain't like when when other games are like, hey, we've got some mature themes here. It's it it goes for the throat uh, as far as that's that's what it's about. Uh, so yeah, definitely mature audience with like extra exclamation points next to that. <laughs> Although, if I recall right, they also do have some very interesting, if you want to call them consent and safety mechanics built into the game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much about you charge to the edge of basically to get where people's comfort level is, but to get right to the edge. And it's got its uh, consent and safety stuff just to make sure that it doesn't become... It doesn't broach the point where it is no longer fun. Their, their whole horror contract, because it is about trying to get as close to uh, what you might call the, the punch-out point uh, <laughs> for players' uh, comfort. It is, it's to get you squirming, because it's to get you right up to the edge of that. Uh, so I've, I've, enjoy, I've enjoyed it quite a bit, but it's also it, it, it's, a, it's a very niche game, because I believe that most people would not get it but i think they're the people it's for it's wonderful i mean i i am one thousand percent down for cult i don't know it's it's hard to describe because 
I hadn't really thought about it. And then when you said Clive Barker, it made a lot more sense. I was like, okay, I, I like this. Why do I like this? It's because I like Clive Barker. <laughs> because I yeah. like the movies and the books. And yeah, that's that's it exactly. You've hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, I, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say he hit the pin. I said he hit the nail. <laughs> But uh, it, and and Barker was actually one of my biggest uh, literary references when I was young. I, I devoured him throughout uh, high school and college, uh, which devoured is probably a good term for it. And mm-hmm. uh, so the fact that a lot of his stuff has the same feels, yeah, the creators of the game even admit Hellbound Heart and Magicka and, and all of those were massive influences on the direction of that game. But I would also compare it a lot to, to Constantine. And in a lot of the ways it feels, so I I enjoy it. It's just definitely not for everybody. Fair. Like I said, I I've heard of the game. I've heard a decent amount of it. It sounds really interesting. It's been one of those ones that I've been kind of on the fence of whether or not I'm interested in playing it or not, just because it is. What do you want to say? It's just on a different level. Yeah. Uh. The, the, yeah. My players and I, I I I can't even play it with most of my normal group because I know a few of them wouldn't enjoy it, and the the ones that do. We have had some just very intense, fun games, but they feel different than any other horror game we've ever played. The fact that there is a attention and there is a lot less laughing and lightheartedness to it that we have in every other game we've ever played. So we enjoy it, but it is seriously character-based and the horror is straight-for-the-throat horror. Uh, very uh, personal horror, I think, is the, the term that's best used for it. Fair. All right, well... I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction. This is a game a couple of you may have heard of, but it's it's still in the kind of mythos vein. My game of the week this week is a game called Soth. And what Soth is, is, well, first off, it's diceless, low prep, low complexity, but it is essentially the classic Call of Cthulhu scenario where you go to a small town and try and stop the cultists, turn completely on its head. You are the cultists, trying to complete the ritual or whatever dark thing it is that you're trying to do before you can be stopped by the quote unquote heroes of the story. And, uh, the, you know, the, the listing on drive through calls it a mix between breaking bad and the stories of HP Lovecraft. They're calling it a noir, noir thriller that uses a diceless system to evaluate how suspicious the cultists are being. Jeez, I can't speak tonight and my headphones are causing havoc. That sounds very interesting. It, it, Which it part reminds me the headphones of... or the can't speak? <laughs> <laughs> no, it kind of yes. reminds me of the the reverse dungeon adventures that uh, they used to have, where you you play the goblins and you've got to uh, set the the dungeon up for the NPC heroes to come in. Except now you're the the NPC cultists trying to stop the intrepid investigators from messing up your plans, at whatever the cult is trying to do. So that sounds cool. Yeah, Soft's a game that I've had on my radar for a while when. The fact that Steve picked it as his game of the week is kind of impressive because I. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just seems like, for lack of a better way to say it, it's just a fun way to take and turn the classic Cthulhu tropes completely upside down. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound exactly that. Now, is this like strictly like a one shot game or is this something where you could do almost a campaign play? You know, where you've got the evil cultist PCs have to kind of go on a quest while they're being hounded. Well, it's listing it as one to three sessions. Okay. And to me, I mean, to me, the appeal is more to buy it and then take the concepts and import them into Call of Cthulhu or whatever 
you know, Trail of Cthulhu, whatever your system of choice is, although you could perfectly well play it as it is. It's a PDF is, well, as we record, it's on sale, but it's priced at 11 bucks normally because the sale ends tomorrow. Hmm. Like all drive through sales. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's... Tomorrow. We need to get a representative at drive through so we can get a head up, heads up on these sales. <laughs> we just start promoting them when we release the episode. Okay. Are they stable what? again? All right. All right, Steve, can we wrap this episode up real quick? <laughs> yes, let's do that. Well, my headphones are still working appropriately. I can tell what the hell you all are doing. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Soth, and with that, we do want to thank both of you for coming on to the episode coming on and talking to us about Call of Cthulhu and sort of the history and some of the mythos around it, some of the appeal of Call of Cthulhu. As always, links to everything mentioned are in the show notes. Uh, We'll have links to all the books we mentioned, all of the games we've mentioned, everything will be in there. And with that, we want to thank everyone for listening and get out there and play some RPGs. Thank you for having us. Yeah, definitely. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. I apologize, guys. I'm, my headphones are randomly switching their output, or my computer is switching output, so you guys are cutting in and out badly. Mm. Ugh. Well, that's not fun. No. Does it need to be triple shot? I think he might be doing that now. Okay. He's usually pretty good about getting stuff like that fixed. Well, I am I am the king of technical issues, as, as you guys have already seen. So well. uh, <laughs> I'm I'm at least happy it's 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 not me. I got that all done at the very beginning of this. So. <laughs> and and John has witnessed the fact that I I technology and I just don't get along very often. I will I I discover new and exciting ways things will break. <laughs> yeah, I recently started a new job, so I'm very well aware with experiencing people that can find new and exciting ways to break things. Nice. Uh, that's what our first couple days of training have been, is that our <laughs> class has broken everything they've touched. <laughs> okay, there we go. Nah. I'm back. Sorry. Did you get Okay. <laughs> Good. Or maybe not. I don't know. What the... Oh. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, let me try one crazy thing here. Just don't move. If We're you get so it plugged in, don't end. move. We just, just got to get just a little bit. Okay. All right. Did you get can, it now? Yeah. Well, no, what it is, and for the life of me, I thought I had this fixed a while ago. I thought my old headphones were going bad, and they were cutting out randomly when I was editing one night. And I fought with it for like three hours trying to figure out what was going on. For some reason, my computer every now and then randomly switches its audio output. And so it'll chatter back and forth between two or three different things. And like I can hear like every other word somebody is saying, and then it'll just stick on one of the things that I have no speakers connected to. God. So, uh, you were talking about soft. Yes. <laughs> Wrapping up yes. talking about soft. Yes. 